0: Uh, Pastor, uh, it's it's Christmas, um, uh, Christmas time. It's December. Uh, today's December the third, I believe, uh, and I. I I tell you, I'm not preaching a Christmas message today. Um, as an evangelist, it, it's kind of a problem uh, because because you, you end up getting a lot of times invited places to speak on special days. And um, uh, you, you want to preach what the Lord lays in your heart. I always try to preach what the Lord lays in my heart. And a lot of times the Lord doesn't lay in my heart. It's a message that's geared directly towards a holiday. Um, I, uh, I heard of one evangelist, and he was really... Really, really in a bad spot. He just decided one year he was, he was going to kind of go against the grain and, and um, just, just really flip the opposite way when it came to holidays. So uh, on Valentine's Day of that year, he decided he was going to preach against divorce. And, um, uh, then, um, St. Patrick's Day rolled around and he preached against Catholicism. Um, <clears throat> when he got a little bit farther along, 4th of July came around and he preached against worldly celebrations and, um, blowing things up. That was something that he, he thought wasn't a good thing Christians should be a part of. Um, when, uh, when he got a little bit farther along into August, he preached, um, against, uh, or preached, excuse me, on working harder for the Lord on Labor Day. Uh, and he said that, you know, we don't need a day of rest. We need to just keep on going 100% for the Lord. Um, when it came to how, Halloween, he preached against costumes. When it came to Thanksgiving, he preached against gluttony. Um, and then, when it came to Christmas time, he decided to preach against Santa Claus. And um, you know, all I know is that I don't think anybody's had him back to preach this year, and I'm not really sure why. Um, so uh, maybe um, if there's somebody out there on live stream that wants to have a preacher, I can get you in touch with him. No, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, uh, I tell you, it's um, it's exciting to preach the word of God. It's exciting to get to share it with with you, dear folks. And, and I know so many of you in this room tonight have a heart for the. The Lord and want to serve um, serve God and that, that just makes it easier on a preacher um, it's a friendly crowd as they say uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for that Acts chapter one we're going to read a few different verses here we'll start in verse number eight um, these were uh, the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascended um, uh, off this planet a- into the heaven and um Uh, Here we go. We'll pick it up right there. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. And the Bible says this. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, "...but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight." And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went, up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of (laughs) Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now I want you to jump over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at really quickly at just a couple verses in Acts chapter 2. I want to give you some context today. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, um, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house that they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It set upon each of them, and when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, mark those words, They began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when noised abroad that the multitude came together and were confounded, because every man had heard them speak in his own language, they were all amazed. They marveled one to another and said, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man, in his own tongue, wherein we were born?" Perinthians uh, and Medes, and I'm going to mess up a couple of these words, um, Al- Elathites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and um, Capricia and Pontius and Asia, and phygia and Pamphylia um, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and strangers in Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians. We do hear in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth these things? Jump down, if you would, to verse number 38 of Acts chapter 2. Verse number 38, and we'll pick up the end of this story here. And Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children, and unto all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this unto regeneration. Now this is an exciting passage. Verse 41. And they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them. Let's read those next uh, four words together. About 3,000 souls. And they continued. They didn't just stop. It wasn't just over. And they continued. Not partially, but steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. They had all things in common and they sold their possessions and their goods and they parted them to all men and every man as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily... Such as should be saved. Tonight, I'd like to preach a message on the power of God in your life today. The power of God in your life today. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and ask for the Lord's help. God, we love you. Lord, we're thankful for who you are and what you do, and we're thankful um, for this text. We're thankful, God, for the early church and the fact that you recorded um, these things for us to learn Uh, and to be encouraged by, and and in many ways to to see a pattern of what our lives and ministry should look like. And yet, Lord, um, we we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. um, But Lord, we need it tonight. We need uh, revival, God. We need the power of God in our lives uh, more than ever. And um, Lord, I I just ask right now that you'd help me to get out of the way, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work. Um, Lord, I ask that your word would go forth with power. Um, God, and and that it wouldn't just be a routine service tonight, but that you would take um, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and that you would cut uh, between um, our soul and our spirit and the joints and the marrow. Lord, that you'd prick our hearts and show us the things that we need to do um, to, to seek your face and have your power in our lives. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. America loves everything instant. We really, really do. Um, We love instant coffee. We love microwavable TV dinners. Well, at least some of us do. Um, We love instant popcorn. Uh, we love, uh, I mean, really just instant everything, I- instant Internet. If the Internet's not fast enough, you know, we shake our fist and bang the Wi-Fi router against the wall and we blame the IT guy. And I don't know why anyone would do that, but it happens. Um, we-, we love instant everything. I'll be honest with you. I remember as a kid watching um, TV shows and having to wait five minutes for a commercial break to get over. And it wasn't really a big deal. And I had multiple commercial breaks. And now when I pull out my phone and I pull up a YouTube video and I have to wait for that five-second ad to get past so I can see my video. I really want to throw my phone against the ground. You just press the skip button multiple times and you can't skip it. It's the worst thing in the world. We love instant things. We want it now. We want it immediately. Uh, I worked for a a furniture store when I was in college and I can't tell you how many times people would walk in and say, I want to buy um, $3,000 of couches and beds and whatever and whatever, fill in the blank. And then they'd come to you and you would say, can you afford that? And they would say, no, but I heard you have financing with 12 months, zero interest. I'll take it right now, and I'll figure out how to pay it off later. And um, we love to do those things. We want instant everything that we possibly can. But when it comes to revival, and when it comes to the power of God, we see it as this far-off thing, this thing that really uh, we'll have to wait for. Maybe it'll come if we wait long enough. Maybe it'll come if we we sit around and talk about it enough. Maybe one day, or even worse, some people see revival like we've seen uh, moves of God like we see here in Acts chapter 2 as something that can never happen again. Some people look at our country and they see the politics. They see the young people being indoctrinated into all kinds of different belief systems. They look at the way that that things are moving and things are going and how it seems that every single turn, um, uh, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And we look at this passage and we say, that could never happen in my town. That could never happen in my city. That could never happen in my state. That could never happen in my church. Or worse, maybe we look at some of the, the great heroes of the Bible and we say, that could never be me. I could never Experience God in that way. I could never see God answer my prayers like that. I could never witness to that many people. And my friends, the great need of the hour tonight in the church in America, in Central Baptist Church, is the power of God today. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Today. Today. We can't wait. The Bible says that the time is short. The Bible says that the Lord is coming soon. And while we've been waiting for 2,000 years for the Lord to come back, and many times we think, well, uh, it's going to happen eventually, but probably not next week or not the next day. What if it did? What if it happened tomorrow? Would we be ready? Would we have done what we needed to do? And I tell you, the, as the world gets darker and as things get worse and, and, and as uh, things progress, the reality is is that we need the power of God today. But here's the good news. We can have it. We can have it tonight. No single person has to walk out of here tonight without the power of God in their life. So here's the question. Do you have the power of God on your life? Would anyone else say that of you? If there was a need in our church this evening... If, if a dear member had become very, very sick, suddenly uh, was in a situation where their life hung in the balance and somebody called on you to pray, would you have the power of God in your life to pray in that moment? If there was a financial crisis As, as, uh, Lord willing, this wouldn't happen here, but it has happened in so many churches we've seen. Hurricanes blow through, natural disasters happen, buildings are flattened and destroyed, uh, and suddenly the, the budget that we had for the church and the savings that we had set aside are gone in an instant. And pastor was to stand up here and say, we need X amount of dollars to rebuild our ministry. Would we as a church have the power to pray in the need? If a missionary was to come and to say that there are souls dying in a faraway land and that they desperately need laborers to go, and that they desperately need funds to get there, and they called upon you to ask, you to talk to the Lord, would you have God's power in your life? If someone was to walk down the aisle tonight and Pastor or Mr. Carpenter were to walk over to you and say, Can you open your Bible and show this person how they can know for sure they're on their way to heaven? Would you have the power of God in your life to lead that person to Jesus Christ? My friends, tonight we need the power of God, and I'd like to look simply at three aspects of God's power and how to have it. First of all, we see in our passage in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, we see that there is a prerequisite of the power of God, the prerequisite of the power of God. The Bible says this, it says, But ye shall receive power. That word um, is uh, likened to dynamite. It's not authority like when Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, this is the idea of explosive power. But she shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The prerequisite for the power of God is simply this. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that one more time. The prerequisite for the power of God is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For most things in our life, there are prerequisites. When you think of uh, going through life, there are lots of things we have to do before we can do other things. For example, uh, to move from uh, first grade into second grade, you have to have completed first grade. Um, you have to pass all of your classes and get everything done. I know that's hard for some people to understand. I won't mention any names tonight, <clears throat> Milan Land. Um, but uh, to move from first grade to second grade, you've got to you've got to complete first grade uh, to to. In order to go to college, you have to graduate from high school. Uh, again, I won't mention any names tonight, <coughs> Ruben Castillo, but um, but you do have to graduate from high school in order to get get to college. Um, You can't pay your way in. It doesn't work that way. Um, uh, In order, once you get to college, you get to take certain classes, and and when you get those classes, you have to take other classes first, oftentimes. Uh, To take uh, uh, English 103, you probably have to take English 101 and English 102, and and so on and so forth. And when you finally get into the career life and you uh, get the opportunity to have a job, oftentimes they require a certain amount of experience. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never understood this fully, um, how when I was in college, and I would go apply for a job as a salesman and they would tell me that it's an entry level position, but that I also needed to have three years of sales experience. And I said, I don't really know how that's gonna work because uh, I can't go back in time and get a job working as a salesman before I get a job working as a salesman. I'm not really sure how that goes, but anyway, uh, maybe, maybe there's something I missed uh, in school and I probably need to go back myself. But there's prerequisites in our life. There's things that we have to do before we have the ability to do other things. And the same is true when it comes to experiencing the power of God. In our text, we see this incredible display of power in Acts chapter 2. And I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, the, um, uh, The disciples were alone. Jesus had ascended into heaven. And as far as most of the world was concerned, he was dead. There were very few people who knew about the resurrection at this time. There were the disciples, a few women, and the Roman soldiers who had been murdered, a couple Pharisees, uh, and that was about it. Very few people knew the resurrection. As far as most of the world was concerned, Jesus was dead. The disciples were gathered together. Their leader was gone. He had left them. He had certainly given them instructions, but the instructions were a little strange. So what did they do? They had a 10-day prayer meeting. 10 days. The Bible says there were around 120 of them. I'm not sure if it started with the 12 and then others came, excuse me, with the 11, and then, then others came together and joined, or if all 120 of them kind of got together. I don't really know how that happened. But the Bible says that for 10 days, they prayed. And as they began to seek the Lord, an incredible thing happened. God filled them with His Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on them. Peter stood up and preached the gospel and over 3,000 people were saved and baptized and added to the church and then continued in the church. Many churches have big days. We've had big days here at Central Baptist Church throughout the years. Pastor and I were talking earlier this week and he mentioned that there was a Roundup Sunday here where we had somewhere between twelve and 1,400 people On this property. That's a a pretty big day, I would say. We've had times where the altar's been flooded completely with every single person and not an open seat in the church. We've had moments where we've gotten out to go in the community and we've shared the gospel and we've seen a lot of people raise their hands and say that they've uh, accepted Jesus Christ their Savior. We've had moments where we've uh, had times where people have prayed, and there are other churches that have had big days. But not only did they have a big day, but these people continued. That big day turned into a big year, which frankly turned into a big century. And the reason why our church meets here today is because of a 10-day prayer meeting that a bunch of disciples had in an upper room 2,000 years ago because the power of God was poured out on their life. You see, in order for this incredible display of God's power to happen, there was a prerequisite. Jesus said, Ye shall receive power after That the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The prerequisite for the power of God is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Notice that I did not say the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. Now I'm going to share something with you tonight, and I want to go ahead and go on record as saying this is John Pound. Uh, theology theory, okay? Uh, we're going to enter the Bible group classroom for a minute. Uh, this is not necessarily the official position of, of Central Baptist Church, and pastor may get up here afterwards and, and correct me. But I'm going to tell you, um, personally, I believe that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you forever, that thing that happens at the moment of salvation in the early church, I believe that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, did not happen for the disciples in Acts chapter 2. I believe it happened in John chapter 20, when Jesus said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll tell you why I believe that, and it's simply because of this. Because I believe that in Acts chapter 2, the disciples experienced uh, what we can all experience, which is a pouring out of the Holy Spirit after He had come into them. I'll give you an example there was a group of preachers that were putting together a large Bible conference. And while they were discussing who they should have, this was back in the 1800s, they were talking about different preachers and different people and several of the preachers got together and they said this, they said, we have to have D.L. Moody. Mr. Moody has to come. If we're going to have anybody be our main speaker for this conference, it needs to be D.L. Moody. And one of the preachers, he was a little upset at this this statement, and he thought to himself, you know, that's not really fair, and he just blurted out in front of all of these guys, he said, "Um, why do we need to have D.L. Moody? Does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And the other preacher looked back at him, and he said, no. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody, and that's why we'll have him. You see, my friend, the moment that you get saved, it's an incredible thing. The Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And things begin to change. But let me tell you something. Just because you're saved does not mean that you have the power of God in your life. And it does not mean that you're experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power on your life every single day. There was a story of a farmer that I heard, and he had a parcel of land... He hired on a man to help him. It was a very large parcel of land, um, several uh, thousands of acres. Uh, He hired this man, and he said to him, I'm going to give you a portion of the land to live on uh, for your help and labor working with me. So he gave him a small section of land in kind of the corner of his lot, and he said, "Uh, I want you to live here, um, but I have some restrictions. The farmer had a lot of really, really, really strict rules about what type of crops the man could plant, about uh, uh, how um, uh, many trees he was allowed to cut down in his parcel of land, and even how big his house was allowed to be after living with this dominating landlord for quite a while the hired man began to get really upset and frustrated with the fact that it just seemed like his little parcel of land wasn't really his <laughs> this man had so many rules and so many restrictions so many things that he had to do sounds like the HOA in some of your neighborhoods but um but he had you know all these things that he had to do and so finally he said you know what fine I'm gonna quit and I'm gonna leave he went to sell the property decided to move off and the farmer began to get really upset Actually sued the guy and started to say, "This land wasn't even his to begin with. He doesn't own it. And when I heard that story, I thought to myself, how many of us have done that with the Holy Spirit of God? We got saved, and the moment we got saved, we gave God a little corner of our life to live in. And we've been saved for five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And you know what? That little plot of land we gave Jesus hasn't gotten very much bigger. In fact, we've been pretty domineering about the rules and restrictions of what Jesus is allowed to do with that little corner of land in our lives. He can't do this. He can't do that. It's got to be a certain way. We're in control, not Him. And I wonder tonight, how much real estate have you given the Holy Spirit in your life? You see... You'll never have God's power until He's got it all, until He's got the monopoly, until He owns the whole thing. Folks, if we're going to experience God's power in our life, the first step, the first thing that we have to do is we need to understand that it comes after the Holy Ghost is poured out on us, after we experience the outpouring of the Spirit. And that only happens when we give Him everything. This leads us to our next point, the price of the power of God, the price of the power of God. The Bible says here, but she shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Things have gotten pretty expensive nowadays with inflation and a lot of the different issues that we have going on in our country. Um, Before 2023, I, I wouldn't have thought that you could become a millionaire by reselling chicken eggs. Um, That wasn't something that I thought could happen. And now it just seems like with the price of everything going up and up and up, um, you can become a millionaire by selling pretty much anything. Uh, Gas is expensive. Cars are expensive. Electricity is expensive. Clothes are expensive. Everything just seems to go up and up and up. Um, uh, The housing market is completely out of control. I mean, I'll be honest with you. um, At this point, I think if Daniel and I keep saving, um, maybe we'll be able to buy a house one day when Mr. McGinnis' great-great-grandchildren are finally building houses, Um, that that'll be about the time that we'll finally get our house put together and we'll have enough for that down payment. It's really uh, just unbelievable. Things are expensive. The price tag is bigger than it used to be. But I want you to know the good news is that in the last 2,000 years of God's economy, the price of the power of God hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, the price of the power of God, it hasn't experienced inflation, it hasn't gone up, it hasn't gone down. It's remained exactly the same. And the Bible says this in Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. it says, And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The price of the power of God is simply this, all of your heart. It's a relentless searching and seeking after God. These disciples didn't just hear God's command to go out and reach the world and say, God, I pray you'd bless us as we go forward and walk out the door. No, they stopped. They took 10 days to pray. And I'll be honest with you, I think they would have taken 100 days to pray if it had taken that long to experience God's power in their life. We live in an instant society. We want things to happen now. And folks, we need to take a little bit of a step back and say, "Have we given God our all? Are we willing to pay the price for the power of God?" Last night, I was sitting with a friend in West Palm Beach. Uh, he's a young man that I've actually traveled with, and uh, really, really great guy. But he's experienced some pretty major hurts from church leaders and even from some Christian folks in a church, and. He's become pretty disillusioned with, um, uh, with the Bible, with with uh, with church as a whole, at least as we know it. And as we sat and we were talking, I said, you know, the most important thing for you tonight isn't what preacher you uh, you listen to, it's not even what church you go to, but it's are you seeking God with all of your heart. Because honestly, if you are, then everything else is going to take care of itself. I'm not worried. God will fix the hurt. God will heal the pain. God will get you on the right path. He'll, he'll put you in the right place. But if you're not seeking Him, then you're living by your own compass. And a ship out in the water living by its own compass isn't going to go anywhere. You see, the compass needs the magnetic pole to point you in the right direction. There are some of you in this room who aren't actively living in revival. And the reason is because you've convinced yourself that you have to admit some great secret sin. You've got to give up some um, uh, cherished uh, thing. You've got to move across the country uh, or across the world and live somewhere in order to become, uh, to experience God's power in your life. And I want to tell you that that's simply a lie of the devil, because there's one thing that's needful tonight, one thing that's required, and that's that you say, God, I will do whatever it is you want me to do, and I will surrender myself to you. And listen, if you'll do that tonight, you'll have God's power because what Satan likes to do is he likes to say, well, you know, if you're really gonna serve God, then you're gonna have to do this thing that you don't want to do. You're gonna have to to go to this place that you don't want to go. You're gonna have to get involved in this ministry that that you really don't wanna get into. You're gonna have to give up this treasure desired uh, uh, thing that you have, and and honestly, it's gonna be inconvenient, and it's not gonna be very fun, or maybe it's gonna be humiliating, or maybe uh, uh, you're gonna uh, have a damage in a relationship with somebody else, or who knows what's gonna happen, but Satan likes to dingle the consequences of us getting right with God in front of our face and keep us from doing it. And hey, listen, when you got saved, did Jesus ever say, oh man, you know, if you get saved, you're going to have to give up smoking? No, he didn't. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When you get saved, you probably wanted to give up smoking because you probably realized that wasn't something God wanted you to do. But did Jesus dangle that in front of your face and say, whoa, 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 you can't. Don't come close. No. Jesus opened his arms wide and he said this. He said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Hey, if you're lost and you're on your way to, uh, to hell, come unto me. Believe on me and you'll have your sins washed away. You'll become white as snow, though they were red like crimson. Hey folks, why do we think that it is that if we suddenly decide to live for God and if we were to search, uh, seek for God, all of a sudden our lives would be turned upside down and it would be the worst, most horrible thing that could possibly happen to us? It's not true. I heard a story of a preacher who had the privilege of sharing a room with John R. Rice. And one evening he came back to the hotel that they were staying at and he Uh, went to open his hotel door, but before he did, he heard a very unusual sound. He heard a lot of commotion coming from inside the hotel, and he heard what sounded like shouting. So he unlocked the door and opened it up, and he was very surprised at what he saw. (laughs) When he opened the door and the door swung wide open, he saw John R. Rice, this, this preacher, who was a little bit larger and a little bit older, jumping up and down on his bed and shouting and praising God with all of his heart. He looked like he was a little kid. Did God not say, in my presence is fullness of joy? At my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Hey, I want to tell you something. If you're going to decide to seek God, you probably are going to have to give up some things. You probably are. You're probably going to have to give up your pride. You're probably going to have to uh, to give up your comfort. You're probably going to have to give up your pet sin. You might have to give up your hoarded resources. But can I tell you this? You're not going to ever have to give up your joy. You're never going to have to give up your hope. And you're never going to have to give up um, uh, the the blessed life that you can have if you simply live for Jesus. Hey, listen, God is not here to make you miserable. God's God's goal is not to to have you live a life that's just sackcloth and ashes all day long. God's hope is to give you joy, um, to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you blessing, to give you provision, to give you uh, all kinds of things that you desperately, desperately need. God's desire is to take away your depression to heal your diseases to forgive your sins that's what he wants to do and if you believe anything else other than that if you're holding on to anything else in your idea uh, then, it, then you need to come to God tonight and you need to rediscover who God is because the happiest Christians I know are people who have surrendered their lives to God and they've found every single time I work in youth ministry and uh Ruben Castillo could attest to this. It's amazing when you go to camp. We have the teenagers get up here and they give their testimonies about camp every time. But the one amazing thing that happens when you go to camp is that after camp, suddenly all these kids have experienced uh, God working in their heart and they've dealt with sin and they've gotten right about things and they've called their parents and they've, they've confessed sin or they've talked to their principal or they've done whatever. Uh, and you know what's amazing, uh, amazing, Joe Carpenter, is that when they do those things, It's never as bad as they thought it was going to be. And you know, I've never ever seen a Christian, I've never seen a teenager who's ever confessed sin and gotten right with God and wished that they hadn't. Never one time. We believe that for teenagers. We don't often believe it for ourselves as adults. If I tell my wife this, it's going to be bad. If I tell my husband what I've done, it's going to be a problem. If I tell the preacher what's going on, it's going to be an issue. And hey, listen, there are consequences to sin. But tonight, God doesn't want to hold that over your head. Tonight, God wants you to experience his life and his joy and his blessing in an amazing way. I've got to hurry. We're almost at, out of time tonight. But I want to leave you with this thought. Finally, we see the cost. We also see the, the price of the power of God. We see the purpose of the power of God. The Bible says this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. When we experience the outpouring of God in our lives, it doesn't just affect us, it affects others. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was yet not given because Jesus was yet not glorified. In our text, God poured out his Spirit on his disciples, and they couldn't help but stand up and tell others about the truth that they had received. And when that happened, that testimony was used by God to change the lives of thousands in one single day in Jerusalem. The greatest test of any revival, I want to I'm going to read this because I want to say it right. The greatest test of any revival is not how many people come to the altar, but how many lives were touched by those who made a decision. Let me say that again. The greatest test of any revival is not how many people came down to an altar to make a decision. But how many other people that weren't at the altar were touched by the lives of those who did? You see, a full altar should lead to a full lobby. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? When we have an altar filled with people here tonight, excuse me, I don't know if it's going to happen tonight, but when we have an altar filled with people uh, that have made a decision, that should result in a parking lot and a lobby filled with people sharing about what God has done in their life. James said this, he said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's an incredible story of a revival that happened in Africa and it went on for decades. And I mean, honestly, it was a revival that went on for decades. And an evangelist, Roy Hessian, was interviewing some of the guys that were part of this revival and he said, what in the world happened? How did it continue? Why did it last that long? And here's what he gave them the answer. He said, the reason the revival went this long was because we just kept it transparent. Every Sunday, people would come back to church and they would confess their sin again. And they would share their sins and problems with each other and they would say, hey, pray for me. I'm struggling with this. Hey, pray for me. Satan's tempting me in this area. Hey, pray for me. I'm beginning to battle with this problem. And they really did confess their sins to each other. You see, a lot of times what happens in local churches and the reason why uh, people like my friend begin to get hurt is because church becomes a place where we all dress up really nice. We try to put on our best uh, look for Jesus and we show up at the church and really what we are is uh, we're all okay and everything's going great in my life and brother, I love you and sister, I love you and I'm praying for you and yeah, God's blessing me and everything's good and we kind of take our burdens and we sort of pack them down and we look all great for church and then we leave and our burdens come back out. But folks, church, one man put it this way, church should be a hospital, not a cemetery. When you go to cemeteries, you go and you look at these beautiful sculptures and these monuments to people's lives. That's not what church is. Church isn't all of us to come and stand around, look at each other and pat each other on the back about how great our life is and and what we've accomplished and what we've done. No, church is a hospital. And if you've ever worked in the hospital, then you understand that when you walk in there, nobody really cares about if you've got a nice suit on. <laughs> Nobody cares about what, uh, what your bank account reads. Nobody cares about whether you're the CEO of a company or if you're the janitor of that company. They care about what's the problem, how can I help? And folks, tonight at Central Baptist Church, the purpose of the power of God is that it wouldn't just affect us, but that it would affect each other, that it would spread out into the community that it would reach people in Ocala and in Marion County and in Florida and in all of America. Tonight, my my heartbeat is this. My heartbeat is that we wouldn't hear this message and say that's a good truth and leave. But tonight there are some of you in the room that need to recommit your lives to Jesus that need to seek God's face again, whether that's just simply committing to read your Bible every day again, whether that's committing to have a daily time of prayer every day, a family altar, to start to go soul winning, to to start tithing. I don't know what the issue is, but for all of us, there's something that we need to commit to. And then, once we've committed, we need to look for God's next step because he'll give you one. If God lays in your heart, if you commit today to say, I'm going to witness to one person this week, look for that next step. Because you know what, if you do that and God allows you to witness to somebody this week, you might say next week, God, would you let me witness to two people? I know people that have stories about how they ended up getting to a place where they asked God to allow them to lead someone to Christ every single month and then every single week and then eventually got to a place where literally they were leading people to Christ every single day. And that's how revival works. And you know what's amazing is when you make that decision, God, hey, I'm going to witness to one person. Hey, God, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read my Bible at least three days this week. And you come back to your Sunday school class, you come back into church next Sunday morning. Share with somebody how that went for you. Get an accountability partner. Talk about what God's doing in your life. We can talk about sports all day long. That's awesome. We can talk about politics all day long. That's great. But why not share what the decisions we are that God's making in our lives? And why not as a group begin to seek God for his power? Hey, listen, tonight we can have the power of God. John R. said it best when he said this, we can have revival now. The only thing that stands in the way is us. And so tonight, would you fulfill God's prerequisite for asking for his spirit to fall fresh on your life? And when you find that spirit falling fresh on you by just simply surrendering yourself to seek God and do whatever it is he's called you to do. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed, every eye closed.